I know the last few weeks we've had dynamic church. Today I believe I have a word for you and I want you to get with me this morning and turn with me to the book of John chapter two. The book of John chapter two. We will pick up in verse 13 and we will read to the conclusion of the chapter. Not a new text to you, but I'm gonna dig in some things that are not common and I want to press them in your spirit, if you would allow me. Do you have it? Amen? Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers and money and overturned the tables. What a loving savior. And he said to those who sold doves, one translation would say pigeons, take those things away. Do not make my father's house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered, and this is the key part. We always stop there and we add our formula and philosophy, not really understanding who he's speaking to and what's taking place. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Old Testament prophecy, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, I love their response can't rebuke the word, so then they just want to get fleshly. Give me a sign. Show me something. You show to us since you do these things. They're basically saying to Jesus, you're the one that's tore up the house. Now you're preaching to me? Give me a sign. Show me who you really are. Prove your deity to us. Watch what he says to them. And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, I love the disciples and have a Bible so honest about them. You see how long it took for them to really get it? Watch this. When he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus has said. For time's sake, let's just stop right there. Blessed be the reading and the hearing of God's holy word. I wanna preach just for a few moments. Don't touch my church. Don't touch my church. Somebody say amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you stretch your hand this way, please, Mike? Would you pray over me and ask God to anoint me, please? Yes. We can now go back. We can see this story. 
Amen. You may be seated this morning. All around America right now, people have gathered in buildings and storefronts, synagogues and temples to come worship God. They have come together upon the umbrella of religion, Christodom. Some embrace of formula, philosophy, or thought. We have gathered up on the umbrella of the Word of God and His place in our hearts and our lives. But all across America and our world, people have gathered in some form of religion within the framework of coming to worship and receiving. God getting the glory, God descending and us receiving that same glory or the benefits thereof. And while I like to say that in my heart, I believe that I am walking in purity and holiness, the closer I get to God, the more I realize how frail I am and how much more God reveals of my character that I try to cover as leprosy being hid up under the cloth. Today they have come all around to see, just like you have, to worship and in some type framework that God is getting praise and glory and we have doing our, dust, uh, our due diligence to worship and we have paid our tithe and we've given homage and we go home and we go back to our lives and we go back to our places and I wonder the people we work with and our family members see us here, the people that are, we are here, do they match who we are there? Can we kind of reconcile the two? Or if the congregation here was put with the congregation at our jobs and our hunting clubs and our lodges, would the two mingle together and say, that's the same person, that's the same, same church, or would they be vastly different? I wonder sometimes that we come because we have been promised certain things and preachers have preached it that way. I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and I understand sowing and reaping, and I believe in financial blessings, but one of the greatest preachers of the prosperity doctrine this week had came out against the same doctrine that he preached, saying that no longer the gospel can be bought, not my words, but his words. There seems to be a sense of change in the air, in the atmosphere. Something right now is taking place in the heavenlies. There is a war going on. There's a war right now going on, I believe, spiritually through the angelic and the demonic and through the scripture and the right to preserve truth and live truth and the right what is of God and what is not of God. The right that the church must be mature and be stand up and be what God's called her to be. There's something that's taking place and I believe there's something at stake and the church has got to rise up and be the church that Christ called us to be and what Christ died for. I believe that great moves of God comes when we fall back on our face and we repent and we let go of God's church and we say to him, God, this is yours. You do with it as you see fit and do with me as I see fit. No more agendas. No more if I go to this church, then I can go to that church and then I can go to that church and if I know this person and if I know that person, do away with that nonsense. That is secular, it is sinful, and it's not biblical. If I go to that church, then I can fit with the club or if I go to that church or if that person leaves, then I've got to leave or if that happens and that happens because it'll be awkward at the reunion or it will be awkward downtown. What if it's awkward when we stand before a holy God one day? 
Where are the people of God that say that, that, that preach to our young people to self-denial and self-sacrifice and taking up our cross? And I hear something in my spirit that God's wanting us to remove our hands from what's sacred and holy and say, trust me again. Fall in love with me again. Embrace me again. Let me lead you and guide you and take you to where I have promised you. But to do that, we've got to yield back the battle plan and Yield back the lines in the sand and give up the sides of the, the places and the sides of our heart and realize that all of us are the same before God and we should stand naked before him and declare, God, I am of you, God. I belong to you and without you, I can do absolutely nothing. John 15. Let me give you the background this morning quickly. Our Lord had been in Jerusalem many times in John 2, this is nothing new. This is after the first miracle, the wedding at Cana, in which I think these two kind of correlate together. But what's taking place, this is nothing new in the life of our Savior. He has been here many times. But understand now his public ministry is coming to the forefront. His public ministry is coming to the forefront. The other times he took no public action. But some way now I hear Malachi's prophecy coming back. The Lord whom you see shall suddenly come to his temple. Malachi chapter three, and then he says this, and he will purify the sons of Levi. Hear me, old church. Some of you don't wanna hear me. It's not speaking to you, you don't care about it. I, I get it, I get it. If I tell you how you're gonna be better, if I give you 10 steps to being a millionaire, if I tell you this, this, and this, you're gonna jump on board and say, preach preacher, you're my pastor. But let me tell you what the word says. The word speaks about there's coming a day that God will step back into the place and he would begin to purify the sinner. No, that's not what he says. He would begin to purify the sons of Levi, the household of God, the preachers and the pulpits, the sanctified places, the holy places and the sacred places. That men and women of God again would have a holy unction and realize that we can't do it by just stealing a sermon or being somebody else or being the next Billy Graham or T.D. Jakes. That God has called us and separated us with a holy calling to make us a peculiar people that separated unto God for his service to be ambassadors of the cross, to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The church will never be the church here in America that pulls people out of the fire into the light of the gospel, who loves the unlovable, who loves those who've done some bad things, but know that if God can love us, God can love them, but it will never happen if the church, the pulpit first, does not fall back on his face and repent of not preaching the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. You hear me? I can preach it here or I can preach it a lot of places, but I know what the Holy Ghost is putting inside of me and I'm gonna preach it. I'll say it again. I can preach it here or I can preach it somewhere else, but I gotta preach what the Holy Ghost is telling me to preach. There is a pulpit being taken back for the kingdom of God and it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what you're wearing or your dress, I'm just traditional because I pastor this style church, I don't care how you dress, young person, you be respectful, but there is coming a place where God's taking back what's important. And what's important is this divine word that's meant to be meat for those who are hungry and water for those who are thirsty. But preachers are not preaching because it is a job or 
because they cannot do anything else. And they're not preaching because their daddies were preachers and their daddies are overseers or their daddies are somebody. But preachers who have heard from God and say, I don't know what this means, Pastor. I know I'm nobody. I'm Tyler Addis who works at Ingalls and I help ladies like he did this week bag their groceries. But tonight when he comes to this church, he is Tyler Addis. He is the one who works at Ingalls who's been separated by God with a word in his spirit who tells us what thus saith the Lord. And I'm gonna flip it around on you. Then the congregation must humble themselves and say, it don't have to be the overseer. It doesn't have to be Brother Nolan, but God can raise up a child from children's church to declare the oracles of God and turn this church upside down. The background quickly that Jesus is preaching from. He's now stepped into his temple in verses 14, 16. Go with me quickly. Jesus is not the Jesus that we preach. And he is not the one that I, I'll be honest, that I try to get my sons to pattern their life after. You know, suffer the little children, sit with the woman at the well, Zacchaeus comes down, that self, you know, turn your cheek, they're pulling his beard. <laughs> but in John chapter two, he kind of reminds me of some of my family members back home. He is mad. He's grabbing a whip. He's turning things upside down in the church. Lord, you can't touch that piano, Jesus. Danny's great-great-grandmother bought that one. Oh, my goodness. Three people got it. Everybody else is still thinking. That's okay. He takes drastic action to cleanse the temple. Notice that this occurred at the Passover feast. Now, I will not debate this morning because it would not give benefit some are saying that this is a separate event than the other gospels because it lists in John's gospel at the beginning of his ministry. I think we need to give credence there, but there's no need to debate if it's one time or twice this morning, the point is still true. This is at the feast of the Passover. No doubt, no doubt before this day, the day before every Jewish home is going through their house. We can learn a lot from this, our brothers and sisters here. Every Jewish home is going through the house and they're cleaning it. They're, they're cleaning every vessel. They're wiping every part of the floor for yeast and substance that could cause fermentation. And they're cleansing all of this, all of this from their home so it will not manifest in their home. In their homes the day before, they're wiping every part. Now compare that to the temple here. Now they're going into the temple. The home had been prepared but the church had not been prepared. And the church is quite different. It's loud, it's boisterous. Every court is still there, but there's some things going on that does not look like what the Jewish people were doing before. In the court there, there's money exchangers. Nothing wrong with that. There had to change currency to temple currency because the money would not be used to buy anything there. Nothing wrong with that. But what you've got to understand this, there was something taking place though that was out of place. What was out of place was leadership that was corrupt and priesthood that was corrupt that had turned God's house not in a place to embrace the foreigner, the stranger to come in to dine and to worship, but it was a system that was turned upside down to take what is holy, make it corrupt, to feel personal gain. 
You get me with me? What they were doing was this. They knew money had to be exchanged. So let's say the Harris family was coming. They could not afford the pigeon or turtle dove there. They would bring their own. The priests would look at it and say, something's wrong with this one. This bird comes from Missouri. We don't like Missouri birds, that's where they're from. And so they would not let them use that. They said, however though, we've got a nice bird back here for you. It's already been approved by the priest. It's just for you for $15.99. Well, the bird back home only costs 15 cent, a dollar, no more than five. In comparison, you understand what I'm saying? The priest says, I don't approve of that bird, but the bird that I approve of that you have to buy you have to buy is 15, it's triple the amount. You understand what was going on? It was racketeering, it was manipulation. Some of you is the spirit of Jezebel in full control. It was the priesthood seeing the, the opportunity to seize and jump on and make the church what it was not, to be what it was to them. It was their church now, it was their religion now, it was filling their pocketbook and they estimate two million people came just to see, embrace holy. Two million people came on that day just to come embrace what was right. Two million they estimate came just to be purified, cleansed in the mind and go back and jubilate and joy, but instead, church, today, what they found was a den of thieves. They found a place of corruption. They found a place that was the opposite of what God intended it to be. No wonder Jesus came in. No wonder he didn't ask permission. Why? Because the king never has to ask permission what to do with his own castle. No one was concerned about the, the, the clutter and everything going on, but someone was concerned. His name was Jesus Christ. Every year when they had to pay this tax, every year that it was transferred over, they were seeing this. Over and over again, these people were taken advantage of one by one. And finally, when Jesus starts his public ministry, he has had enough. And he doesn't do it in a polite way. He does not sin. He does have a righteous anger though, and he turns the church upside down. He is restoring order back to his house. No more are the poor gonna be taken advantage of. No more is manipulation gonna be there and compassion excluded. No more is manipulation of religion saying, if you don't do this, then you're not gonna be right with God. No more, no more preying upon the young people. No more backing political people who are sinful just because they fill our pocketbooks. No more standing with taking sides that God's never asked us to take sides on. I wish somebody would stand on the side of the God of Jesus Christ. Somebody, somewhere, stand up and love your neighbor. Somebody stand up somewhere and not bow down to the secular gods of this world and say, my family believes this and my daddy believes this and you can't sit beside me because you're not the right color. Somebody, somebody that's saved, anybody saved anymore will stand up and say that this cannot be tolerated, that this belongs to God. Let us take our hands off of it and say, God, if you want to turn us upside down, then turn us upside down. Our loving Savior, watch what he does, three things, and I'm gonna close. All the, in the image I can't get out of my mind is that all these people come and they leave disappointed. No wonder people say, I, I, I don't wanna go to church. 
I, I know it's not going to suffice, and I preach against it. You know, there's, we can't go to church because there's hypocrites, and there's hypocrites in, at ball games and bars and jobs. There's hypocrites everywhere. I'm at a peculiar place, church. I'm at a peculiar place. I hear something deep inside of me. No more. No wonder the people, though. We don't know how to love the sinner and gracefully embrace the gospel and then still be righteously upset when we should. We have tendencies to allow things in our own families while we condemn others to hell. We as preachers are the worst, and I have been guilty myself. We know just what song to sing and what, what verse to read, what cute phrase to say, just to motivate some people that are not motivated unless it's their preference. What is God saying to the church? What is God saying to your heart? Where are you at with God? I didn't ask you what you have in your pocket. I didn't ask you who you know. I, didn't, I don't care if you're third generation church of God. I really don't care to be honest with you. I'm asking what is the Holy Ghost saying in your heart? First, verse 17, go with me quickly. When Jesus shows up, he changes everything. Everything. You cannot have God show up to churches and they don't change. Brother Nolan, if it's a church, that means God's already been there. I hope so. Brother Nolan, if it says church outside, then you, you need to be careful what you say about it. Okay. Then why are we closing them? Why we're closing one right now in this district? Why are my pastor friends taking their own lives? You tell me, I'm asking. I'm not preaching hard at you, I'm preaching to people I love. I'm trying to get us to hear the heart of God. It burns inside of me right now. It's burning inside of me. Why are we no longer talking about the rapture? Why? Why are we debating now in the church of God if there's even a hell? I'm asking, I'm asking. Why do I have to prove to my own people that I love that there's still a heaven, that it's just not a, a philosophy or, or, or we choose to go there if we want to? Why? Why are we trying to convince the evangelicals that the word of God is still for us? And I'm coming to let you know when he steps in, he changes everything. The disciples at this point, if I'd have been them, I probably would have been upset with him. I've just given my business to you. i just left home for you, Jesus. Everything was going well. My mama's happy. My grandma just took pictures of me. And Brother Ramirez, she's got me on her Facebook. Look at my boy. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Everybody's happy. Tommy's talking about TJ. Jessica's talking about me. I'm a disciple. I'm going to the temple. I'm somebody. I'm a deacon. I'm, you know, I'm happy. And Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's gonna do good things. He's gonna restore Israel. We're about to get our houses back. We're gonna get our land back. We're getting everything back. And Jesus walks in and first thing he does, he grabs a whip. He starts running animals out the temple. 
He starts turning tables upside down and then he does the unthinkable, the unthinkable. We could have forgave him for touching the animals and we could have said he bumped into the table like, like Fat Albert or something, you understand what I'm saying? But, but the one thing that he cannot do, oh, he touched the, he touched, he touched, he touched the checkbook. Oh my goodness, he would have been fine if he had kept his hand off the checkbook. But when he touched the checkbook and started throwing coins around and th started throwing coins on the floor, something is wrong. And I believe through my studies that disciples are probably thinking like this, we, we, we made a mistake. This man, they're gonna take him to Bull Street. Anybody? All young people are like, Bull Street? All the older people, don't, you know what I'm talking about. Something, some, something's out of place here. What happened to him? Is he, it, it, his mind, yesterday he was so normal. Yesterday he was taking water, making it wine. This little girl was rejoicing. It would have been like summer not having enough food to feed everybody and her family. It would be so embarrassing. Jesus shows up, touches it. There's enough food to feed all of Oconee County. She's happy. If she's happy, He's happy, you understand what I'm saying? This, this Jesus is awesome. This Jesus is representing joy coming back to the church and then all of a sudden we get to the next day and I, I don't know what happened. At, at the wedding he's giving joy but at the temple he's turning it upside down. Jesus changes everything. I know the disciples were embarrassed I believe they were fearful, why? Because he's touching people that could take his life. And I've come to let you know this morning, if you would hear my heart, that what Jesus was doing, he was changing and transforming this place to be a household where he could show back up and God's people could be not only blessed, but those that don't know God can be changed. Will you understand this? This touches the great one of the great paradoxes of our faith. The Gospel of John, we will see plainly how anyone can come to Jesus Christ. No matter their background, no matter what's gone wrong, he is setting this temple up to let everybody know you are welcome in the household of faith. But this is what you've gotta get. Everybody's welcome, but everybody that comes in will be transformed if they submit to Jesus Christ. Give God a hand clap of praise if you believe that. Come unto me all ye that are weak and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Anyone can come, but those that come, you hear me, for the first time, if you come, he is not going to leave you the way that you are. That's why he's turning it upside down. Those that are bound by addiction, he is still a deliverer. Those that are seeking help out of darkness, he is still a light, the light of the world. Those that are bowed in their mind to unforgiveness because of things that you've done or things that were done to you, he is still the healer. He is more than a reformer. He is transformation to all that submit to him. He will not leave you as you are. It's not making you over, it's making you brand new. The church has got to understand that today. We cannot get by with just touching somebody with oil and believing that they have been touched. We must demand to all of our, ourselves that, that this transformation must be made. Are you listening this morning? He's not just gonna allow us to come. He, everybody's welcome. But when we come into the embrace of Jesus Christ, we will be changed.
So this is what I say. Come sinner. Come drunkard. Come heathen. Come deacon. Come choir member. Come preacher. Let me get in trouble. Come state overseer. Sons of Levi. Come. Come to my house. Turn it upside down. Start again with us. I ain't going back to that church if they don't sing. Yeah, I'll get it. So tired. So tired. They don't have an air conditioner. They don't have this. They don't have that. Jesus is soon coming. Your kids are dying and going to hell. And we're going to fight over things that don't matter. Turn it upside down, God. Turn it upside down. Turn it upside down. Turn the church world upside down. Listen to me. Start with the television preachers. Let them keep repeating. Let revival start there. Start there. Let the world see. No more selling miracle water for $85, but preachers in their pocketbooks saying, you know what? I'll pray for you right here, right here, right here. I've already been blessed. I mean, how many millions is enough? Is five enough? Is 10 enough? Is 15 enough? Is that enough means? How about some preachers standing up and saying, you know what? I've got 10 million in the bank. I don't need another dime from you, but this is what I want to do. I want to give some back and pray for those that can't give anything because if God can love me, then God can love them. God sees on the inside quickly as I close. No more hiding. No more hiding. You don't have to hide from this God. He's not going to take advantage of you. He's not going to manipulate you. He is a loving God, an awesome God who embraces you and allows you to come not by works, but by his marvelous grace that you and I cannot boast, but we can enjoy him in his fullness too. Here's your sign. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, here's your sign. The first miracle, the miracle at Canaan, and I miss this. The thing was that God took, took our best that we had, the very best, touched it, and now it became extraordinary and blessed everyone. But the second part of this chapter is our worst. It's us manipulating our own human beings, us taking advantage of each other, right? Back corner deals, back alley deals, shady stuff, what Luke talks about, don't scratch each other's back, but if you want to be blessed, give to the poor, the lame. That is scripture. If you know a scripture, just nod. I feel like like people are dodging me. Are you listening? Watch what he says. When he does it to them, they still demand though. I I don't know about you, Jesus. You're kind of crazy. You're kind of crazy. So he says to them, give us a sign. They wanted a sign. But what they didn't realize, he gave them a sign. The sign had already started, but they were missing it. So he says to them, in three days, you tear down this temple and I will raise it back up. Somebody say amen. Amen. They look at him and say, you're crazy. It took 40, I think it was 46 years to build this temple. You can't raise it back up in three days. It wasn't until the resurrection that the disciples realized That's what he was talking about. You hear me today. The church of Jesus Christ is not based upon stone that were laid by these hands. They were based upon the world tearing down as he laid down his life as a ransom for many. But on the third day, he got up from the grave and he lives forevermore. You want a sign? I give you a sign this morning. You want a church in revival and a church on fire? I'm about to give you a sign. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of every believer. You've got resurrection power flowing in your, your veins right now. You've got the power of God living inside of you. Get up in the name of Jesus Christ. Go back to Ziklag and take back everything the enemy has taken from you. Get up in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up one more time that the devil's knocked you down and declare he's alive. I don't need another sign. I don't need a comet coming. I don't need a, a rainbow in the sky. I don't need 25 people to scratch my ear today. I've got a sign already. He lives. He lives inside my heart. The king is alive. His church must be alive. Wake up, church. He told us, church at Sardis, wake up and strengthen what remains. Wake up in the name of Jesus Christ. It's time for the church to come alive and take our hands off of it and see what the scripture says and be the church of Jesus Christ. It's time. It's time to love our neighbor. It's time to pray and fast. It's time to come faithful to God's house. One amen, that's okay. It's time. It's time to declare the right things of God. It's time to feed people that don't have food. It's time to pray devils out of people who are bound. Oh, preacher, every time you say that, it scares people. Then how do you read your Bible? What translation are you reading? Help me with this so I can find one of those and give me your Mary Poppins Bible quickly, please. But mine says things like the kingdom of God suffered violence. Mine says things like bind the strong man. Mine talks about things coming back seven times worse. Mine even said in one part, that if we go back, it's like a dog returning to his vomit. That's hard words, but they're biblical. And if I can't preach them here, what can I preach them? Listen, you want a sign? You've already got it. Brother Lord, I would be saved if I had a sign. You want a sign? It's all around you this morning. I can start naming names of people who are not perfect, but been delivered, and the chains are broken off of their life. Every section are people who once were bound, but now they're free in the name of Jesus Christ. You want a sign? They're all around you. Open your eyes. It's like a college scoreboard telling you the game and the score. They're all around us one by one. Our testimonies that Jesus is alive. Wake up, church of God. Don't get caught up in things that don't matter, but stand up and be counted for things that do I say, God, turn us upside down. Lastly, I want you to know that he cannot be fooled. The Bible says before it closes in this chapter, the Bible said that he knew them. He knew of men and knew what they were. They wanted a sign, but Jesus, after he rebukes, he then says, scriptures say, that he knew every one of them and knew what was in their heart. I come to let you know today, you can fool people on your seat and your row, but he knows me today. Last night was so wonderful and so transparent with the men. We talked about some hard issues. It's time that the church would be transparent again. Well, I was sitting there last night. Joey, if I, 
if I have sin or fault, there's a scripture in the book of James that says, confess your faults one to another. What does it say after that? Somebody say it loud. You should, that's exactly what it says. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a weird scripture. Confess my faults one to another that we may be healed. The enemy has tricked us there because the last thing I want to do is tell you my faults. And the last thing you want to do is tell me your faults. And who can you trust? They say they won't tell anybody, but they've got that one friend who has a friend, who has a friend, who has a friend, who has a MySpace. No, it's kids. Facebook. Young people are like, MySpace. And the next thing you know, we miss the scripture there. But there is something powerful when we realize he already knows me. I'm not hiding nothing from him. And I want this healing so bad, I don't care who knows it anyway. So I release it. Watch this. The power of release. Sitting in the fellowship hall, I felt the Holy Ghost quicken me last night with this scripture. And through the power of release, I say to him, I have ought against a brother or sister. I want you to pray for me. I trust you. I'm releasing it that I might be healed. No longer am I covering it like leprosy. No longer am I going through the religious motions. How you doing? You got the victory? Oh, I got the victory. No, you're full of leprosy, but you got it covered. How you doing? Oh, everything's great. How's church? Oh, it's good, good. What a preacher preached last Sunday. He preached on Jesus. Oh, I bet it was good. Oh, it was, it was wonderful, wonderful. What, what, what verse did he preach on Jesus about? Oh, over there in Deuteronomy or somewhere. Oh, yeah. And we're covering it up and everybody's walking around like this. And I hear a God saying, if you'll let me, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh again. But how can God pour it in here if we're doing this thinking that he doesn't know us? Instead of us as believers falling on our face and saying, God, we can't do it without you. God, we need you. And you know me anyway. Stand with me, please, all over the house. I want God to turn us upside down that he might use us for his glory. I want him to start with me. I feel like I'm on the potter's wheel rehearsal right now. Right now. One of the most lonely times of my ministry, but one of the best times of me hearing from God. But I don't, I don't know if I like everything I'm hearing because some of it sounds crazy. But I want him to start with me. Turn me upside down. Turn me upside down. Cleanse my heart, God. Cleanse me on the inside. Turn me upside down. Come into my life. Where have I manipulated somebody? Where am I taking advantage of somebody? Where am, where am I want, let me push this. Where do I want glory that doesn't belong to me? I want to confess that to you. It's my brothers and sisters. Early in ministry, I think a lot of preachers would go through this. We want our name so high. But the older I get, I'm telling you, God said to crucify that. And I realize it, don't have, it never has to be my name. As long as it's his name. Amen? Amen. 
Where are we at? Let it die in Jesus' name. And let us rise up and let God do what he wants to do. Brothers and sisters, it may not feel good. He may take the whip to some of us and turn it upside down. But if he does, so be it. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, Father? Start with me and my family. I, there's no rebuke in this sermon. The sermon is to people that I love to challenge. To challenge. To be the church. Wake us up, God. Wake us up. Call sons and daughters out, God. Restore homes of holiness and power and grace. Spirit-filled homes all over Oconee County burning bright, God, for you. Start with us. Start with me.